morning. Wouldn't it be fun just to have a, just a great time the whole morning? Some of you are like, no. <laughs> Scariest moment of our lives. Hey, we're so glad you're here with us. Isn't it nice to see the sun and the warm weather and kids graduating and getting out of school and summer? Jeez. I want you to welcome with me TJ and Melissa Poisel if you give them a huge hand. We are excited to have them here with us now. Many of you would be like, well, they go to Alpine. Uh, They've been here at Alpine for six years. What you don't know is they just recently grabbed their family, uprooted them, and moved to Racine, Wisconsin because why? We moved there to start a life-giving church in the community of Racine. Awesome, huh? So, So you guys planning a church in Racine. Tell us a little bit about that. So it started here, it was birthed here. The fact that this was not only our home, but that we were encouraged and inspired to step into our purpose. To acknowledge the fact that we were made for more and that God wanted to use us, but then believing it, because so often we struggle with that belief. So as we stepped out into it and we said, all right, this is what we're supposed to do. What are our options? We're either obedient to God and can be a little scared of the future, or we can live in the regret of not trying. So we've decided to say, God, we're trusting you because you're telling us, do not be afraid. Isn't that awesome? What, what's, what's crazy is, um, I mean, this was a really good place to be, Great you know, place. right? Great and we nice loved having you guys and you loved having us and we yeah. were all comfortable and then you went and got uncomfortable. Yeah. Could you tell us why, <laughs> right? This is awesome. Why Racine? What, what, has, what has God put on your hearts? Well, so first off, I grew up in Racine. So I grew up with brokenness. I didn't know Jesus. My parents were divorced at five, which you turn to alcohol at a young age. You turn to doing a lot of the wrong things to fill a void that's there when there's no Jesus in your life. Yeah. And one encounter with Jesus changed everything for me. Um, but I'm... I'm the norm there. That's not unique. And Racine is a city that people desperately want to escape and get out of. And we're asked constantly, why did you want to go back? And our prayer and our desire is to see it a place that it becomes the city on a hill, that light that people see and are attracted to. And they go, I want what's there. And that's our heart. Like he said, a lot of people are like, why racing? Um, people are trying to get out, but we believe God's trying to get in, and he wants to break through barriers and addictions and strongholds, and we are believing God for such big things. Um, it started as just a burden that God just, it was relentless. He was breaking our hearts for what broke his, yeah. and it's for families, it's for legacies, it's for the next generation of people, um, so kids don't have to grow up in the brokenness that TJ knows firsthand, I was blessed not to have that firsthand experience, but now sending my kids into the public schools and knowing that they are just among, one in three children in Racine um, actually fall below the poverty line, and with that comes so many other things, it's not just money. Um, So we just have a heart for these parents, um, these kids, we just want to see what God can do in a city and um, inspire change in that way. We, we want you guys to know that we're so proud of you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now I'm going to cry. 
to sit in a place and hear God's calling and tugging and respond in obedience needs to be celebrated in the church today. Whatever, whatever that it looks like. You just happen to be planting a church. I have to ask, how many churches have you planted in your life? Zero. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, a, this is a trusting God, but we know that God has gifted the two of you in so many ways. This church has a name, Soul Revival Church. Yeah. There's a website people can go to. You're actually launching when? September 29th. September 29th, the first service of Soul Revival Church in Racine, Wisconsin. Isn't that awesome? Exciting. As a church, we, we obviously are, are in. We want to be part of this. And, and um, TJ's going to be back on July 20th and 21st to preach. So we're going to let him have a Sunday and share his heart. And uh, we'll have an opportunity to jump in more and, and pray officially, maybe over your whole team. Um, but what can we do now? Well, first off, thank you for the opportunity for us to even come and celebrate this with our family because Alpine is home for us. Yep. So we're excited to get to have that and to jump out of this into another community so people can experience a life-giving church like this one. Yeah. Um, so we'll be at the Orange Corner afterwards and can answer any questions, get some information, but there's three primary ways that we're asking for help. Um, first and foremost is prayer. Your prayers are powerful. Like God wants to use it and will use it to storm the gates of hell. We just sang about it, and your prayers can do that. And they can go to your website and sign up to be part of the prayer list. Yeah, soulrevival.church is our web address. And when you go there, there's a button you can click to join our prayer team. And we'll keep you up to date on everything that you can be praying for. Um, secondly is to prayerfully consider joining us financially. Uh, your generosity can help bring the hope of Jesus to others. And we're actually planting through an organization that's matching dollar for dollar up to 50000 which is incredible. That's um, awesome. So we're excited about what that can look like. And then thirdly. And, and third, you can come with us. You can make that step and say, we want to be a part of it. And I promise you, I asked his permission before asking that. So there's no fighting after service here. I promise. Well, I just want to share, though, real quick. We didn't ask permission. Dave actually said that first. That's, That's his heart as he said that first. Yeah, and, I, and I, I just want you guys to know that we hold really loosely to everything around here. Um, and if God would be calling you to join this, we want you to do that. And we want to celebrate your obedience in that way. And so we do believe to that degree in what God is doing in them. And so what I'd like to do in this moment, again, any questions, please go see them, even if it's just to encourage their hearts, because this is uh, the season of church planting. Uh, we actually have some church planters in the room, Dave and Casey. You guys know Dave and Casey Jane. They planted in Washington um, right around the time the tornado hit Washington. So maybe you ought to get some time with them. They would, they would love to. Where are you guys at? Wave at me. There they are, way back there. Welcome. We love having you guys here. If you guys would just go down front, here's what I'd ask. Anybody in the room that has a relationship with TJ and Melissa, we just want to come around them in this moment. So if that's you, just begin to move now as they come down. And sis, come on. Melissa's sister is here with us, and uh, you're probably going to be brought into this journey with them, aren't you? <laughs> so let's just gather around, and let's just believe that God is going to do incredible things through them. Um, and uh, if you're just sitting in the seats, just maybe reach a hand as we pray that God would continue to do what God is doing. God, we just thank you so much for TJ and Melissa, and we love them, and we're proud of them. And uh, boy, it just ignites our heart to see those that hear you speak and respond in obedience, not because they have to, but because they want to. 
that they just love being in relationship with you and they want people to know the Jesus they know. And we see that in TJ and Melissa. So we lift them up. We lift the boys up as a family. We say, God, protect them. We say, God, surround them. Be in them. Work through them. And that, God, the team that you've brought around them, some 30 people have already jumped in to say, we want to be part of this church. God, I pray, Lord, that you would bring an anointing upon this church that will be a lighthouse to the community, that will speak truth and love into a culture that just needs to know that Jesus loves them. God, I pray if there's anybody in this room that wants to be part of this in whatever way, you would encourage their hearts today to do so. God, we are with them. We're on board. We are praying for them. And we speak um, life into this church and its body, into that community for you. And if there is any attack of the enemy that he is raising up, we cancel that attack in Jesus' name. By the power and authority of Christ in us, that he would have no authority and that this church would see hope brought to its community. And we will celebrate that because we love you and we love them and we're excited about what you're doing. In Jesus' powerful, holy name, amen. Amen. Yeah. So we're going to be looking forward to uh, TJ and Melissa uh, coming again on, in July. Um, excited for that to happen. Um, let me say this. Uh, when you live in the Midwest, you've come to one conclusion, that summer's short. Right? Maybe two months. The rest is all rain, horrible weather, cold. And so when those two months come, it's like everybody needs to be outside doing, enjoying. We would love for you to know that we are still meeting here on the weekends. <laughs> um, and here's why I say that. I say that for us to understand that coming together is important. Gathering as his church every week to encourage each other, to lift up the name of Jesus, to be reminded of who he is in our life is incredibly important. That's the church. That is the gathered church. But I also know that it's important that the church scatters. And so if you can't be here, my prayer for you is that you would be the best example of the hands and feet of Jesus wherever you are, whether that's on a boat in the middle of some lake. Be the most Jesus-y boat you can be. <laughs> wherever you might find yourself, you are a representative of Christ, and we will champion that as you be like Christ in those places. Is that fair? I feel like that's fair. Um, I'm excited about the summer and the series. I'm excited about this series. Before we go any further, though, let me do this. If you um, have in any way served in our armed forces on any level, would you stand this morning so we can give you a huge thank you from our hearts to yours? If you, you served at any level in the armed forces. I want you to know that we could clap all day. Yeah. And so thank you. Tomorrow we will remember on Memorial Day, many of us will celebrate, and sometimes I think in the celebration we forget what this is all about. Um, but we will remember those who didn't come home. But before all that, I want to say thank you to those who went and came home. And we know that for a majority of our soldiers, men and women who come home, they're not really home. And the battle that wages... We're going to pray for them and pray for you. And we just want to say thank you. And I want to pray in this moment for the families that will be reminded tomorrow that their loved one gave the ultimate sacrifice.
And when we sit here every week, we celebrate spiritual freedom, and we ought to. But we also celebrate the fact that we can come into this place and celebrate our spiritual freedom because we're a free country. And so we don't take that for granted, and we say thank you. And so can we pray in this moment for all of those that are represented by tomorrow's remembering? God, we love you, and we thank you that you sent Jesus to set us free. And it was for freedom that you set us free. And so we thank you for that. We thank you that we live in a country where men and women have given their lives for this freedom. And we pray for their families today. Um, that with the absence of their loved one, that the presence of God would be so heavy and so felt, whether they know you or not. And I pray for those who have come home and need healing in the midst of being home, that you would bring that healing to them. And whatever kinds of legislation need to be passed to allow us to take better care, may that help happen. Get the selfishness out of the way so that we can love those who serve us well. And we will give you the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you again for... Those of you who are here, that is not a token. That is from our hearts. We say thank you. We're in the middle of this um, series, Identity Crisis. And I'm going to say to you, I say this all the time, and I have to stop saying this because when every series is the best series ever, none of them are. <laughs> and so let me say it maybe like this to you. I think this, this is probably one of the most important conversations. And here's what I mean when I say conversation. I'm obviously up here talking for about 30 minutes, and you're not saying anything. That doesn't feel like a conversation. But I make an assumption that Sunday morning is just the beginning of the conversation, that when you hear this stuff, you hear it so that as God is speaking to you, you'll take it into your family and into your workplace and into your daily interaction with people, and you'll process it, because that's where growth happens. Not when I hear something good, it changes my life. It's when I hear something good, I bring people around me to help God utilize that truth to change my life. And that takes time. And, and so the conversation around identity is probably the most important conversation we'll have because it lies at the core of all that is broken in our world, this identity piece. If you don't get this identity piece right, if you don't understand that if you don't have Jesus and that identity that he gives you, you actually have no identity at all. If you don't get that, then, then you'll miss the whole thing. That's the, that's, that's the most important, that, that Jesus came so that you could have a, a relationship with God and be a son and a daughter of the Most High. And that that is what he came for, to reestablish who we are in Christ. Now, let me ask you this. What are the things, if you had to name those or yell those out to me, what are the things in this world that we actually let define us outside of Jesus? We say, these are the things that bring us value, or these are the things that, that we, we let be our identity. Yell them out. Give me a couple. What? People. Job. People. Money. Money. Co-workers. Coworkers. Social media. Yep. The Cubs. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Amen. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> I'm a Cub fan. That was very good. Thank you. <laughs> Wrong identity. Anyway, <laughs> throw some more. Parenting. Acceptance. Acceptance. Guys, we could go down the list of things that we have felt comfortable in our culture saying define us and identify us. 
But stand with me, if you will, as we read God's word. We'll go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And we stand in these moments because the best thing we'll hear all day is the word of God. And so in the midst of a culture that would say these things can identify you or define you, Peter says in verse 9, but you're not like that. As a follower of Jesus, you, that stuff define it. You're not like that. That stuff doesn't have to define you because when it goes away, then you supposedly lose your identity or your identity has been threatened. And, and Peter's saying, you're not like that. Here's what you're like. You're a chosen people. And you're either a chosen people or you're a people who choose to waste your life. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a royal priest. You are royal priests, a holy nation, the people of God, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. How many know God is good? We just sang about it, right? That's what... That's why we were so loud and crazy, and that's why you got ahead of the band when we started singing, You'll Never Let Me Down, because we were excited, because he is good. How do we know he's good? You woke up today, and you woke up doing something that you subconsciously do every day, not realizing it's the goodness of God. You did this. And the very breath in is the goodness of God because he gives us breath. And so you breathe in the goodness of God so you can declare his praises. What are you declaring? What are we declaring? For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people. Once you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people or the people of God. Once you received no mercy now you have received God's mercy. And to those who have received mercy, we give mercy. I want you to skip to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 17. I want you to hear this. Peter's still speaking to the church. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live. So you must live. As God's obedient children, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do. Uh oh. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, He's go going back to Leviticus for us. You must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. This world is not our home. God, I pray in these moments you would open up our hearts to receive everything it is you want to say to us in a way that changes us from the inside out, and we will give you the praise because you're a good God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to say, this will be good news this morning. <laughs> oh, hey, that should have happened really quick, by the way. Some of you are like, opportunity to talk. Here's why I'm saying that, because I think you have, to, you have to hear this through the ears of good news. 
This is good news. This isn't to condemn. This is to celebrate. This is something that I don't think we live into that God has given us and we ought to live into. Let me say this to us. Becoming a follower of Jesus, and I say follower of Jesus because it's very specific. If you ask 10 different people what a Christian is, you get 10 different answers. We've been so hurt ultimately by a subculture. When I talk about Jesus, Jesus is who he says he is. I'm not making anything up. I'm just pointing to the life of Christ. So because we are followers of Jesus, people have said, who have said, I submit to you as my Lord and my King. I bring everything underneath your rule and reign in my life, and I want you to have your way. Lead me, O oh God. I'm done leading myself because I am horrible at it. Okay, clear. Becoming a follower of Jesus doesn't mean just turning over a new leaf. Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going to go out there and do better. I mean, it's not about turning or just turning over a new leaf and being a better person. I think we miss the point. I think it's religion if we do that. Becoming a follower of Jesus means Jesus Christ's resurrection power comes into our lives. Okay, I'm going to say that again in a little bit and give you a little bit of reference for this because you need to understand that that is the difference maker. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. As a follower of Jesus, the same Spirit that brought Jesus to life, brought him out of the grave, will bring you out of every grave you find yourself in. Whew. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life for those who love and follow Christ. And he will do that in your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. It's not about turning over a new leaf. It is about being filled with the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That spirit lives in you. Now, you ever have those verses when you're reading them in the Bible, you find out you don't like them? <laughs> Yet we live in a culture that when they get to that point, they edit it. We want to echo it. But I'll often write, verse I don't like. You ever do that? You got some of those? This one I'm going to read to you is a verse that you probably won't like. But it's right in this same family of the Holy Spirit coming in. James chapter 4, verse 4 and 6. You adulterers, talking to the church, talking to followers of Jesus, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world... Now, when it talks about the world, we're to be in the world, not of the world. So how do we be in the world? Because he wants us in the world, but not friends with the world, not buying into the philosophies of the world, looking like the world, so the world can't tell us apart. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If somebody in the Bible is saying something again, it's important. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God, whether that's all of your life or parts of your life. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? Listen to this. They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him, letting that spirit come out and live and lead and guide you in such a way as it brought Christ out of the grave. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Becoming a follower of Jesus doesn't mean just turning over a new leaf. It means Jesus Christ's resurrection power comes into our lives. I know, you're like, what was that? Man, I was hoping for way more there. That's all right, we'll keep going. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? I don't know, just something that might excite you. Some of you are like, I'm excited. I want you to be. I want you to know that you don't have to battle like you battle sometimes. I want you to know that there's freedom to your addiction that you're battling nobody knows about. I want you to know that secret that you don't let anybody know because the devil's lied to you for so long isn't real and true, but God has something for you. And it comes by the spirit that he places within. I want you to know that the reason your Christianity keeps failing is because it's religion and not Jesus. I want you to know that there's a power that you can tap into, but we have a form of godliness and deny its power. I want you to know that it's not about just being good people. It's about letting the Holy Spirit penetrate your life in such a way that you look different than the world. And so he says, we are, as a result, a holy nation. We are a holy nation. Do you hear me? We are. Those of us who have made a decision to follow Jesus, we are. Let's get super clear about holiness, can we? Because I think this is where we often get off track and we get discouraged and we jump back into our religious ways where we're trying to earn God's favor and try harder to make God happy. Called holy, a holy nation, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But now you must be holy in everything you do, in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. More often than not, when we think about holiness, we tend to only think about morality, being good. We almost always think about right living and moral behavior, perfection. God is holy. He's perfect. Therefore, I have to be perfect. So God is asking me to be perfect, and I will never be perfect. You ever feel that way? Here's what I would say. It doesn't mean less than that, but it also means way more than that. It is about the relationship that we have with God. It will always be more about the relationship than it will be about the behavior of those who are with God. When you make it about the behavior, you ultimately will lose the relationship. But if you'll make it about the relationship, then the effort will come and the behavior will come. The effort is not in the behavior. The effort is in the relationship. And rules without relationship always produce rebellion. For a deeper understanding of holiness, we have to look at the book of Leviticus where it says, be holy as I am holy. That's what Peter's telling us. The book of Leviticus is not talking so much about holy people. It's talking about holy things. If you go to the book of Leviticus, there are all sorts of things that are called holy. Tables are called holy. Utensils are called holy. Pots are called holy. Lampstands are called holy. There's lots of holy things we see. So right there, you begin to see that holiness doesn't just mean morality. What's, what's a moral table look like? I mean, some of you could be like, well, you ever been to our house? It's a pretty good table. So what's an immoral table look like? Right? It doesn't work. It forces you to ask what holiness means, and the Hebrew word means set apart, separate. Oh, man, I hope this sets you free this morning. Immediately, we can see why God says he's holy, because he is utterly apart from other things. He is totally unique. There is no one else like our God. 
No one. He is holy. If, it's got, if I take this table and I put it over here and I say, this is, this is a holy table, this is set apart for a specific use, then you can't use it for anything else because that's not what it was meant for. I tell my staff all the time, this is my table. Don't touch it. No, I don't. It is set apart. What then does it mean to have a holy table or a holy pot or a holy utensil or a holy thing? It means that it is set apart for God's exclusive use. When Peter quotes Leviticus that the people should be holy, it means that this is going beyond morality, just being good. Let me maybe share it this way. One commentator says, of course, to be holy means moral behavior. But these words in Leviticus 11 are not given in the context of moral commands or prohibitions to people, but the context of ceremonial restrictions pertaining to clean and unclean things for belonging to God, living on his terms, delighting in him, obeying in him, honoring him. These are more fundamental than the specifics of obedience that we label morality. It's more about the delight and longing for God and a relationship with him than just simply doing what he says. There's your definition. What makes the table holy? You want to know what makes the table holy? It belongs to God. That's what made the table holy. It was set apart. And God said, this is its use. You want to know what makes you as a follower of Jesus holy? You belong to God. You belong to God, and every part of who you are belongs to God. It can't just be about right behavior, moral rightness, and that it's, that's just too easy to lose the relationship in all of that. How many of us have this, have this religion of do's and don'ts, but we seem to have no life in a relationship with God? It's too easy. It's possible to be moral for a lot of reasons in our culture. You can be moral out of a sense of duty. You can be moral because it makes you feel good about yourself. You can be moral because it fulfills family expectations. It's good business to be moral. You could go to jail if you're not. There's lots of people being moral. But in every case that I just read to you, every one of these is moral simply for selfish reasons. It is possible to be moral and not belong to God. To belong to God means that I want to delight in him. I want to. And some of you are sitting here and going, well, I don't always want to. Then pray that God will give you the want to want to. He's just not insecure. He's okay with you coming and saying, I don't want to, but I want to want to. And he goes, good, I'll give you the want to. Because I'm convinced that I belong to him in the areas that I'm not letting him have, I ought to give fully. If there's a God, it's simply not enough in God's eyes to simply be moral. If there is a God, you owe him everything. And for us to say what's really important is that I'm moral or good is like saying, hey God, I don't really need to have a relationship with you. If there's no God, that's one thing. But to say I don't need God, I've got morality means you're not holy. What's intriguing about the Levitical quote that we belong to God 
as a holy nation is that it gives us the core of holiness. We belong to God. We have been, as a, as a child of God, as a son or a daughter, you are now part of his holy nation, the people of God who have been given the holiness of God, the set-apartness of the belonging to God. You are set apart for God. Does that relieve anybody? When it says to be holy, God is going, I am holy, be holy, be set apart. Don't be part of the world. Don't be friends. Separate yourself. Why? Because it's destructive, but belong. That's what he's saying. It'll change the way in which we live. Now you have a principle for applying holiness to all of your life. What's the opposite of belonging to God? The opposite of belonging to God is to belong to yourself. How many of you have areas of your life that belong to God? Raise your hand. Yeah, celebrate that. How many have areas of your life, the ones that just raise your hand, that don't belong to God? Still, you got control of. Yeah, don't celebrate that. Just give them to God. We've been talking a lot around here about kingdom over everything. That when we submit to a relationship with Jesus, then we live under the rule and reign of his kingdom, and we want his kingdom before everything. It's the kingdom of God before the kingdom of me. The kingdom of me gets me in trouble. So it's kingdom over everything. Sure, there are things we have to obey, but more than that, it means to no longer live for yourself. That's the principle of holy living. You no longer live for yourself, but for God and your neighbor. For the community of believers that God has put you in, for the world, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You're a recipient of free grace, therefore you're not your own. So you live as if you're not living for yourself, you're living for God, you're living for your neighbor, and every part of your life has got to be holy, set apart. And to be holy is to belong to God, so I want every part of my life to belong to God because God just does better things with it. Let me put this in practical speech. Paul says in Ephesians 6, when you're doing your daily job, your work, how many of you have a job? Raise your hand, great. You go to work. How many of your moms? Raise your hand. That's a job. That's a lot of work. That might be more work than a lot of us others do, so we want to honor that. Whatever it is we do, the things that we put our time and our energy into, whether you're paid for it or not, listen to me. When you're doing your daily job, don't work for your boss and don't work for yourself. That's what holy living is all about. Let me put it in these terms. If you're working for your boss, you'll only work hard when your boss is noticing You'll only do what you do to give your boss a good impression of you. If you're working for other people instead of, if you're working for yourself, you'll only do what's necessary to make the money or to make more money. Because we get caught up in that. Jesus talked about that. But what if you're working for the Lord and not for men? Your main motivation is to serve the Lord. Then you work much more diligently than anybody else much more conscientiously, cheerfully, because you're not living and dying on whether you get praise from your boss or everybody else. It transforms your work because you're not living for yourself. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You're holy. You've been set apart. What would happen if the church, every individual in the church, saw themselves as God's holy nation, set apart to be his hands and feet, looking like Jesus in the world today? One movement, one voice, not selfish. To be holy means you belong to God, and this applies everywhere, even places where there are no moral rules. That's what holiness is. As Christians, we are holy people. 
Like Israel, we've been set apart from this world for relationship with God and to fulfill his purposes. Our holiness consists not just in our being different from our neighbors, but also in our devotion to God's mission through us. I don't exist for me and my purposes. I exist for God's. I don't wake up saying, God, today will you bless what I'm about to do? But I wake up and I say, God, can I be part of what you're blessing? You lead me today. I'm done leading you. I'm really bad at it. Lead my life. I belong to you. Both of these, when it talks about holiness, it's both our position and our practice. I want you to understand how this works itself out in our position and our practice because we're about ready to be done here. And this is important. In Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, our position as God's sons and daughters, the holy nation, God's inheritance is made clear that there's nothing you can do to earn the righteousness of God. He gives it to you through his son, Jesus. Jesus did the work. And your position is sealed. You are holy. You belong to God. You are set apart. And then Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 talk about the work of living in God's holiness. That he is working out in your life to make us more and more like his son, Jesus. See, there is our standing with God as his sons and daughters, and it doesn't change just because we make mistakes. And then there is our walk, that we want to look like Christ, because we belong to God. And so we invite him into all those areas. Remember I told you about the woman at Splash Mountain that I chewed out? Just wasn't looking like Jesus. That was just one of those areas that was the kingdom of me. I was belonging to myself in that moment. I would love to have responded as one who belonged to God. To say, man, today your job must be really hard because there's a lot of angry people on the line. (laughs) Here's a dull whip cone. I don't know. Just not what I did. It is our position. So how does that work itself out in us? You can't just snap your fingers and you're living that way. I'm going to give you three things as we go. I'll be fast. About you go three things. I know how you are. Nope, three quick things. <laughs> you can write these down so I say them quick and you can look at them later. It's putting our whole life into God's hands every day and saying, God, would you have my mind, my will, and my heart? It's the whole person. It's saying, God, have my mind. Verse 13 says, prepare your minds for action. You know what, followers of Christ, we need to be thinkers. We got to be way, we, we get, think about what you think about. Is it God's stuff or is it your stuff? It says in Philippians chapter four, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are holy and right, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on those things. Get control of the mind. You have the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead in you. Empower him in the morning to help you have the mind of Christ. And think about Jesus. Not just your problems. Take your problems and give them to Jesus and then think about Jesus. So our mind has to engage in the process and practice of holiness because we're holy. We're set apart. So we give our minds to the practice. You know what practice means? It means I'm not perfect. That's why I'm practicing. That's why it's our position and our practice. So our minds and then our wills. 
says in verse 14, so you must live as God's obedient children. That's the light. Your will is your want, your choice, your desire. It's waking up every day and deciding to choose Jesus instead of everything else. I will choose Jesus today in how I act. I will choose Jesus today in how I speak. I will choose Jesus in every moment. If there's a question, the answer is Jesus. And that will give me a clue of what it means to belong to God because Jesus is my choice. How should I respond to that person? Jesus. How should I think? Jesus. So there's your mind, there's your will, and lastly, there's your heart. Live out your time here as foreigners. Man, where are your loves? Where are your loves invested? We live in a culture of idolatry. It brought Israel down. It brought Israel out of favor with God. You know, it's great to love other things, but when other things become greater loves in your life than God, they become idols. And so every day we have to wake up and say, God, order my loves today that my love would be for you today, that I would delight in you and just enjoy my time with you today, and that everything else in my life will experience the love of God in me because I love you and you love me. And that's how we do it, our mind, our will, and our heart. Well, the enemy hates that. We'll bring temptation at you because the temptation comes to take your mind off of God and get you committed back to the world. He wants us to know the joy of no longer living for ourselves. Jesus says, I want you to know the freedom of being so flooded with love that you don't know that anymore belonging to you because you've seen what it looks like to give someone's life away. And when you see him doing that, you see his hands, his head, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. To the degree that you see him giving himself away for you, to that degree you give yourself away to live for him. To that degree. That's what it means to belong. And when we live as if we're holy, a holy nation that we belong to God, it will look different. And the world will look at us and say, what is that? And we'll say, that's Jesus. Stand with me this morning. Verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 2. Once you had no identity at all, then Jesus came. Now you're a people, the people of God, of every tribe, race, tongue, and nation coming together for his purpose, not ours. And his purpose is awesome. And it says, once you had no mercy, now you have mercy. We need the grace and mercy of God at work in our world. We need the grace and mercy of God at work in our country. We need the grace and mercy of God at work in our social circles. We need the grace and mercy of God at work in our schools. We need the grace and mercy of God at work in our families. We need the grace and mercy of God at work in our communities. We need the grace and mercy of God at work in Racine. We need the grace and mercy of God at work in Lake Zurich and the surrounding areas. We need the grace and mercy of God. We need a holy nation to be holy. That's what we need. Set apart. Belonging to God. What would happen if you lived that identity? It would change everything. So what do we do? As we close, what God said to Solomon 
in Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will just humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven as we turn from our wicked ways. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. God, may you do that as your church prays, as your church gets to know you and spends time with you, both individually and corporately. May we be your chosen people, your royal priests, your holy nation, special possession of God. And may we live set apart. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. Have a great week.